Chapter 4 of History of Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Egypt by F. C. H. Wendell. Chapter 4 The Decline of the Egyptian Kingdom and the Hyksos Domination. About 1930 to 1530 BC. This period is one of the darkest in the history of Egypt. Very few monuments have come down to us from this epoch, and almost all we know of the entire four hundred years or more is the names of the kings, and in some cases the length of the various reigns. Of some of these rulers we know from the monuments found how far their power extended, but here our knowledge ends. We know further that in this period the Egyptian kings were dethroned by foreign invaders coming from Asia, and known to us as the Hyksos and that these foreigners held Egypt in subjugation for many years. Who they were, and how long they remained in the country, we have no means of knowing. The only review of this period that any ancient writer has given us is that copied from Manetho. Thirteenth Dynasty, from Thebes, sixty kings in 453 years. Fourteenth Dynasty, from Coes in the Delta, seventy-six kings in 484 years. Fifteenth Dynasty, Hyksos, six kings in 260 years. Sixteenth Dynasty, Hyksos, unknown kings in 251 years. Seventeenth Dynasty, from Thebes, unknown kings in unknown years. The number of hypotheses concerning this epoch is legion, but not one is supported by facts and monuments. The times of the 13th and 14th dynasties seem to have been troublesome. The kings of the former ruled, according to Manetho, only about seven and a half years on an average, while those of the latter only about six years, while the members of the first Hyksos dynasty ruled, on an average, forty-three and one-third years. The entire period is evidently set down as too long by Manetho's copyists, who give over 142 kings in over 1448 years. The monuments do not permit us to assume so great a gap in the history as 511 years between the close of the 14th dynasty and the beginning of the new empire, about 1530 BC. There have come down to us from the genealogies of nobles who lived early in the 18th dynasty, that after a few generations give names which certainly belong to contemporaries of the 13th and 14th dynasties. It is very probable, if not certain, that the last kings of the 14th dynasty were contemporary with the earliest Hyksos kings, and we know that all of the kings of the 17th dynasty were contemporaries of the last Hyksos kings. If we must state the duration of this period in years, we would say that it cannot have exceeded 400 years, of which 150 years would give about the duration of dynasties 13 and 14, and 250 years the duration of the Hyksos domination. Section 1. The 13th Dynasty. The new dynasty, which was founded by King Rahutawi, seems to have been closely connected with the 12th. Already, at the close of the preceding dynasty, we find the crocodile god of the Fayum, Sebak, in ascendancy owing to the extensive works erected by the last kings of that dynasty in the Fayum. Names containing that of Sebak as a component part begin to appear about the same time, witness that of Queen Sebak Nofru-Ra. This custom has become prevalent in the new dynasty. 
It is further significant the two kings of this line adopted the throne name of Amenemhat I, Sehotep Abra. A long list of kings of this house has been preserved, but of scarce a single one do we know more than the name. As above remarked, the times seem to have been troublesome and rife with insurrections and usurpations. Of Seanch Abra, Ameno, we know that he built at Karnak, two altars dedicated by him to Amon-Ra having been found here. Section 2. The Fourteenth Dynasty Ransanib, the eleventh or twelfth successor of Rahutawi, the founder of Dynasty 13, founded a new dynasty. The greater part of his successors have left us monuments, and the fact that these monuments have been found in all parts of Egypt, from Tanis to Semne, and even far to the south of this place, proves that these pharaohs had control of the entire country, though at times they must have found it quite a difficult task to hold their own. Accordingly, we must not picture them to ourselves as exceedingly mighty monarchs. They were nothing of the kind. They merely succeeded in holding together the mighty kingdom of the Twelfth Dynasty. They have left us only short inscriptions and statues that are, it is true, sometimes of colossal proportions and of superior workmanship but that could easily have been executed in a short period. Manifo states that this dynasty came originally from the town of Coes in the Delta, but where he got this information is a mystery to us. Sechem Chutawi Ra, Sebak Hotep III, has left us several records of the rise of the Nile at Semne and Kumne. The sixth king of this line, Semenchkara Mermenfitu, is generally supposed to have been a usurper, but this supposition is based merely on the fact that his name, Mermenfitu, means general, and is very doubtful. Of him there are extant two colossal statues that once adorned the Temple of Ptah at Tanis. Both of these were later on usurped by the Hyksos king Apepi, and still later Ramses II put his cartouches on one of them. At the same time a third statue of this ruler was found. Sechemuach Tawi Ra, Sebakhotep IV, was the son of a private citizen named Mentuhotep, and the princess Fuhenen Abu, the daughter of Queen Nenna. It would thus seem that Sebakhotep IV based his claim to the crown on his mother. Chaseshra Neferhotep, the son of a private citizen named Ha Anchef and his wife Kimat, was one of the mightiest of these kings, retaining the crown eleven years. The temple of Abydos was specially favored by this ruler. A long inscription found at this place relates the following story. Quote, One day King Neferhotep was seized with a desire to see the books of the god Atum, a solar deity. Receiving permission, he entered the temple library and studied them. Hereupon he resolved to restore the entire temple. End quote. A good resolution this, and one he carried out. One of the most interesting monuments of his reign is an inscription on the rocks of Aswan, representing him and his entire family, consisting of his parents, Prince Sahathor, Prince Sebakhotep, and a relative named Nebhotep. A sandstone block found at Karnak, which, by the by, proves that he built here, is of great interest, as it bears on the one side the name of Neferhotep, and on the other that of Sebakhotep, his son and second successor. It would seem from this that Sebakhotep had been appointed co-regent by his father in order that his succession might be assured. A small granite statue of the king was found at Tanis. 
after the short reign of Sa Hathor, who seems to have died soon after his accession, Khanefer-Ra, Sebakhotep V, ascended the throne. He was a powerful monarch, who ruled over the entire land. A colossal statue of rose-colored granite representing this king, on which Ramses II afterward cut his cartouches, was found at Tanis. A second statue was found at Bubastis, and a third on the island of Argo, far south of the second cataract. His name is frequently found on the walls of the temple of Karnak. According to the classical authors who call him Canephres, he died of elephantiasis. Cha'ankhra, Sebakhotep VI, is mentioned on the walls of the temple of Karnak and on several smaller monuments. Cha'hotep-ra, Sebakhotep VII, ruled, according to the Turin papyrus, four years, eight months, and twenty-nine days. Wahabra, Ab, reigned ten years, eight months, and eighteen days. And Merneferra, Ai, reigned thirteen years, eight months, and eighteen days, as far as we know, longer than any other king of this dynasty. Merkara, Sebakhotep VIII, has left us a statue. Several important tombs at Siut date from this time. Of the remaining kings of the dynasty we know nothing. Little by little we lose grasp of the historical connection, and all that is left us is a mere list of names, with here and there the statement that a certain king ruled so and so many years. The tombs of Siut that date from this time all show that the nobles here buried were rich and powerful. They have the same value for this period as those of Beni Hassan have for the Twelfth Dynasty, but are not nearly so well preserved and contain but few historical allusions. Section 3. The Hyksos Domination, about 1780 to 1530 BC. The Fifteenth Dynasty. The Fourteenth Dynasty succumbed to an invasion of Asiatic Bedouins, who gradually succeeded in driving the Egyptian kings south. It is highly probable, however, that the pharaohs yielded only after a long and bitter struggle. The only account we have of the Hyksos invasion is that copied from Manetho's book by Josephus. This account is as follows, quote, At the time when King Timaeus ruled in Egypt, God, for unknown reasons, became incensed at the Egyptians. A people coming from the east suddenly attacked the land and easily conquered it. The ruling class were taken prisoners. The cities were burnt down, and the temples devastated. All the inhabitants were treated in the most hostile and barbarous manner. Some were slain, and the wives and children of others were sold into slavery. At last, these barbarians elected one of their own number, named Salatus, king. He made Memphis his capital, levied taxes in Upper and Lower Egypt, and garrisoned a number of towns. The strongest garrisons were laid in the eastern forts, as he feared the Assyrians, who were at that time very powerful, might attack Egypt. Finding in the Saitic, mistake for Sethroitic, Nome, a city favorably located east of the Bubastic branch of the Nile, which, owing to an old legend, was called Avarice, he built a great wall around it, and put in a garrison of 240,000 men. To this city he came in the summer, partly to direct the distribution of food and pay, and partly to frighten the enemy by constantly drilling his men. After a reign of nineteen years he died, and the following were his successors. Benon, who ruled forty-four years, Apachnus, who ruled thirty-six years and seven months, according to Africanus, sixty-one years, 
Aphobus, also called Apophis, 61 years, Annas, 50 years and one month, and Aseth, 49 years and two months. These six kings were the first rulers of the people that lived in constant strife with the Egyptians and sought to exterminate them. The whole people had the name of Hyksos, i.e. shepherd kings, for Hyk signifies in the old language king, and Sos shepherd, and still has this meaning in the Demotic. Some say they were Arabs. In another copy of Manetho, however, there is the note that the syllable Hyk does not signify king, but that the entire word means prisoners of war. This latter explanation seems to me, adds Josephus, the more plausible and better in accord with ancient history. End quote. The last note given by Josephus was certainly not found in the original work of Manetho, but was added by some later copyist, provided it be not an invention of Josephus himself. This writer's object in quoting this passage from Manetho in his History of the Jews was to prove that the Hyksos and the Jews were one and the same people, and thus to demonstrate the great antiquity and nobility of the Jewish race. Now, there was one thing that bothered him. The Hyksos entered the land as conquerors, while the Jews, according to the Old Testament, entered it peacefully. Josephus, therefore, bethought himself of this not over-ingenious compromise. On the other hand, Manetho's etymology is correct. Hek does mean prince, and Hyk may well be corrupted from this word. And Sos certainly is a corruption of Shasu, or Shas, which was the name commonly applied in this period to the nomads on the Asiatic frontier. I must in this connection remind the reader of the fact that the Greeks had no k and no sh, and were compelled to render the former as k and the latter as s. The only difficulty lay in the fact that hyk represented the singular hek, while the plural heku would have been the proper form. But it has been demonstrated that the form hyksos is a mistake for hykussos, while Manetho is right here, he has made some terrible slips in other parts of his narrative. His most glaring mistake is that he speaks of a powerful Assyrian empire in about 1780 BC, at a time when Assur was a small and unimportant town that could scarcely hold its own against its near neighbors. Even 300 years later, Assyria was so weak that when Thutmosis III had defeated the Syrian kings, it sent him tribute. Another bad slip is the story about avarice. Assuredly, the Hyksos did not conquer Egypt in order to be able to garrison a town on the borders of the desert. Only the bare facts of Manetho's narrative are available for historical purposes, and these are that a vast horde of Asiatic Bedouins, this is the best rendering of Shasu, invaded Egypt and after a long struggle succeeded in conquering the country. What race these Bedouins belong to we cannot say, nor have we any idea of their appearance. The monuments at Tanis, and formerly attributed to them, have long since been proved to belong to another epoch of Egyptian history. Their religion was, of course, different from that of the Egyptians. An Egyptian text treating of the expulsion of the Hyksos states that they worshipped the god Sutech. This is the name applied by the Egyptians to the god of the foreigners, and is often a translation of the Semitic Baal. Thus the Baalim of the various Cheta towns are designated as Sutechu, plural of Sutech. As god of the foreign enemies of Egypt, Sutech is identified with Set, the enemy of Horus and principle of evil. 
and it is but natural that this god should be looked upon as the tutelar deity of the hostile foreigners. In later times, when the power of the new empire declined, Sutech, as the powerful god of the mighty enemies, was considered a very potent divinity, and found many worshippers in Egypt. The names of most of the Hyksos kings are compounds of the name of the god Set, but some are compounds of the name Ra, showing that the Hyksos were to some extent influenced by Egyptian religious thought. The Sixteenth Dynasty The Hyksos did not always remain uncultured barbarians, but with time began to adopt the civilization of Egypt. Egyptian officials were put in charge of the various departments. Egyptian literature, science, and art were encouraged. Under King Aweser-Ra, Apepi I, was compiled a mathematical treatise, of which a copy, written in the twenty-third year of his reign, has come down to us. Aqenen-Ra, Apepi II, is known from several monuments. The reign, or rather death, of King Apehtiset, Nubti, is used as an era in an inscription of the time of Ramses II, which is dated four hundred years after King Nubti. This would place Nubti in the 17th century, somewhere between 1700 and 1630 BC, as the inscription unfortunately does not give the year of Ramses' reign. Of the other Hyksos kings, we know the names only. Section 4. The 17th Dynasty. Beginning of the Struggle for Independence. Toward the close of the Hyksos domination, there ruled in Thebes a line of kings who were in all probability descended from the last kings of the 14th, or perhaps of the 13th dynasty. They are the rulers of the 17th dynasty, who began the combat with the Hyksos. A legend preserved on a papyrus belonging to the British Museum, Salier I, relates the story of the outbreak. King Apepi, the Hyksos ruler, who was an ardent worshipper of Sutech, sent messengers to the Egyptian king of Thebes, Ra Sekhenen Ta'a, bearing certain propositions regarding religious matters, which Ra Sekhenen rejected. There had also arisen misunderstandings regarding a well lying on or near the border, in regard to which no agreement could be reached. This brought on the war. Ra Sekhenen is called throughout the story Prince of the Southern City, i.e. Thebes, and it would seem from this that the Hyksos had either never reached that city, or the country had been reconquered so far north as Thebes. At all events, the Theban kings were independent rulers, and resented the Hyksos king's attempt to assert any claim of sovereignty over them, and they boldly took up the cause of Egyptian liberty. Long years the war lasted, and the Hyksos were slowly driven north. The kings who distinguished themselves in this war were Ra Sekhenen Ta'a I, Ta'a II, the Great, Ta the third, the brave, and Kames, the husband of Queen Ahhotep, and father of Ahmes I, the final liberator of Egypt. In 1881, the mummy of King Ra Sakanen was found in a shaft at Deir el-Bahari. An ugly gash on the head of the mummy proves that the king died a violent death. In all probability, he was killed in his struggle for the liberty of his country. End of chapter 4 Recording by Owen Cook in Pottawatomie Seated Land.